Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In a written message delivered to the APEC CEO summit in San Francisco, Chinese President Xi Jinping says openness and inclusiveness are the defining features of Asia-Pacific cooperation. Xi Jinping says that development in the Asia-Pacific region has been achieved not through provoking antagonism and confrontation or erecting high fences around a small yard, but by staying open and inclusive and drawing on each other's strengths. He also stresses that Asia-Pacific cannot and should not be an arena for geopolitical rivalry. So, what has been China's message for trade and economy in the Asia Pacific at the San Francisco meetings? How will this year's APEC meetings impact economic development in the region? For more, I'm joined by James Ray, Professor, Department of Government, California State University; Professor Doug Guthrie, Director of China Initiatives at Thunderbird School of Global Management. Thank you, gentlemen, for talking to me. Now, first up,、um, how do you see the importance of this year's APEC meetings in San Francisco, especially against the background of the world, you know, gradually recovering from COVID? Maybe let me start with Professor Guthrie, please. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, and good to be here with you both. You know, these are, of course, very important meetings because they think generally about the the growth of an economic development and economic cooperation across the region,、um, and in particular, U.S.-China relations are so critical right now. The two largest economies in the world and the world's two largest trading partners.、Um, you know, things have looked rough、mm. between U.S.-China relations, and in particular with respect to economic development. Uh, but this has been a big year.、Um, it's been a big year because、uh, when things were looking looking difficult,、um, we've seen you know a year ago the two leaders come together at the G20 meetings, and then we've seen、uh, a lot of, despite the difficulties that the Chinese economy has been experiencing, a lot of geopolitical successes,、mm-hmm. um, ranging from the brokering of the Iran Saudi Arabia deal to. Uh, the rearranging of the BRICS coalition, and so I think China was really set to to really kind of come back to the U.S. and say we really need to be trading partners and we need to be economic development、mm-hmm. in in this economic development process together.、Um, and so I, I was impressed that President Xi made the trek and came, and and they had the summit in addition to the meetings. And、mm-hmm. um, my hope is that it continues to bear well for for positive economic development relations. Between the two countries.、Mm. Now, Professor Gosri, I know you study, you know, the economies and also, you know, businesses、um, in China, in Asia, in general. So, what's what's a particularly vulnerable about, you know, economies in this region right now? Well, I, you know, I mean, I think that the key issue. Let me just answer the question in twofold.、Mm. I mean, the key issues are really around questions that are going to be affected by the Chips Act、mm. and. Kind of continue collaborative development in high tech spaces, right?、Um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, the Chips Act I think was a very negative thing、um, mm. in terms of the economic development between the two countries. But China has seemed to,、uh, through the recent announcements and launches of Huawei's uh, process uh, products, I mean, things seem to be okay. But I think we need to continue to develop in this space. 
and mm-hmm. seeing the the economic development d- discussion happen in that space, I think is positive. The one other thing that I would just throw in is, you know, people talk a lot about, well, you know, China is vulnerable to companies like Apple moving to India and Mm -hmm. Foxconn has a factory in Chennai. And, and, you know, having spent a good amount of time studying this and some time working um, in this space, I I just don't see it. I Mm -hmm. see that companies like Apple and Tesla and a number of others that have really helped China develop a very complex manufacturing supply chain are married to China. They're mm-hmm. just, just the fact that a final assembly plant has been set up in China, Chennai by Foxconn just doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. And so I see less vulnerability than some people do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that we'll we'll have to see how things play out over the next year. Indeed. Now, uh, James, how do you see the, you know, the whole whole setting of, uh, you know, uh, this year's APEC meetings happening in San Francisco? I mean, what's his significance uh, for now? Well, yeah, thank you for having me. And it was great to hear Professor Guthrie's comments already. Uh, you know, I think it's symbolic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's been a dozen years since APEC was hosted in the United States. Mm-hmm. In the interim, we had President Trump's you know, hostility to multilateralism and globalization and mm-hmm. lack of participation in APEC. And so I think it's um, important. It reflects President Biden's foreign policy and the team he's put together that has support for interdependence and the broader commitment, at least to not decoupling, as he <laughs> reaffirmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and San Francisco, of course, reflects the origins of the commitment of the Clinton administration, the original Bush administration, creating APEC on the Pacific coast and so forth. Mm. Of course, it's sort of ground zero for some of the challenges in the United States with homelessness and widespread disagreement on policy toward Israel and Palestine. And so mm-hmm. we see some of those outbreaks of uh, div- division in San Francisco um, that reflects where we're at, you know, as, as a nation. And I think that can't be ignored. We could pivot into the discussion of fentanyl that, you know, came out of that discussion, which has been an affliction across the country and impacted San Francisco as well. Mm. Now, uh, let's see, you know, the whole significance of uh, APEC economies to the world, because the region is one of the most dynamic in terms of economy, trade, population, etc. So, Professor Guthrie, how do businesses and trade in this region matter to the world? Well, I mean, to your point, they matter tremendously. Mm. Um, You know, I mean, over the last 40 plus years, um, you know, China has gone through this economic transformation and not just been the manufacturer for the world, but built the most sophisticated manufacturing supply chain in the world by far. I mean, it's just the the, the industrial clusters that are there, the ways in which they're linked across different industries, uh, the infrastructure that links them. I think it's a tremendous system. Mm. Um, the thing that's interesting, I mean, you asked the question not just about China, but about the region. And I think it's going to be a really interesting decade to see how the Belt and Road Initiative plays out and see the ways in which China's pivot to to be the leader of the global south is Mm. really going to take hold. Mm. Um, And so to to echo what what Professor Ray said, I, I think it's really important. And there's a lot of symbolism in this moment, in this meeting of how important APEC is. And how important it is that the two leaders of the United States and China are meeting. Um, but I actually think it's it's also quite interesting that, you know, I think China is really 
mm. positioning itself to be the leader of the global south and to be the leader of continuing to develop um, this place as the production engine for the world. Mm. Um, so I think it's a huge consumer market, but I also think it's critical for the economic development of, of the globe. Mm. Now, James, how do, you, how do you think about this issue? You know, what's the significance of APEC economies to the world? Well, I would agree with Professor Guthrie. I mean, in the, in the Belt and Road has now connected not only China to Southeast Asia and its near frontiers, but all the way to Latin America. And so countries uh, that are members of APEC are also very uh, connected economically through infrastructure and the global supply chain that was just mentioned, mm. but also diplomatically. I think Professor Guthrie is correct that, I mean, China's put in a lot of work over two to, two to three decades of really committing itself to high, high degrees of respect um, for global South countries, taking a middle ground on lots of sensitive issues, you know, mm -hmm. at the UN and cultivating those relationships and, and being such a good host when small countries visit China. So I think um, Latin America is very, has been and continues to be very central in, in those um, mm. commitments to infrastructure development. Um, maybe not as much in the the sector of new technologies and the digital economy. Um, mm. Some of it is is resource, you know, extraction and so forth. But I think in those varied ways, China is able to uh, now expand to the high tech sector and continues also to be um, a driver of of real infrastructure growth. Right. Now, uh, you know, leaders of these uh, economies come to San Francisco with a whole package of, uh, you know, promises and policy, um, you know, mandates to, you know, to tell their audiences. How do you see China's message in San Francisco to trade and economy, particularly um, at the Asia Pacific? For example, Wednesday night at a dinner with American business leaders and local friends, President Xi Jinping said U.S. is working to revitalize its economy while China is striving for high quality development, which means, you know, the room for collaboration is huge. Uh, Professor Guthrie, what's your take? Well, I mean, it, it really is a fascinating dynamic to observe this process of China's growth into a really powerful position with respect to its the, the largest economy in the world and its largest trading partner. And you know, I think that people within China and particularly people in the leadership space have a sense that China is not really recognized as being a true leader of economic development and having as sophisticated of an economy as it does. And so I think there's, there tends to be frustration, uh, at least among the people that I talk to, that say, mm -hmm. you know, we're not just a manufacturing for the manufacturer for the world. We have a tremendous amount of our own high tech development and we are pushing hard to develop in this space. And so I think that being treated as a, an equal at the table and being treated as a leader, um, I think is very important to the Chinese government and to Xi Jinping. And so the fact that President Xi came and that President Biden met with him. You know, and in my sense, I would love to hear what Professor Ray thinks about this, but I think that there's an interesting dynamic. If mm. they're meeting at the G20, my sense is within China, people, leaders tend to think of the G20 as the kids table. So there's the G7, which was for a while the G8 when Russia was a part of it, but then it was reduced to the G7 again. And then, you know, well, China, you can be at the G20. And so President Xi comes to meet President Biden a year ago at the G20. But this is, to me, a very powerfully symbolic meeting of like, 
you know, China is an equal to the United States. And yes, not only was this a meeting with President Biden, but it was also a meeting with Elon Musk mm. and, uh, you know, Nadell, the, the Microsoft CEO and a number of other business leaders right. um, to really emphasize the fact that China continues to be open for business and continues to want to attract foreign investment and foreign capital mm. and foreign partnership. Mm. And so I think it's a really interesting moment. Uh, now, James, how do you respond to that? And how, what do you see China's message for trade and economy? Well, I think as Professor Guthrie pointed out, you know, if we pivot back just a couple of years when the two sides met in Alaska and there was a lot of acrimony and the public statements mm. reflected that. And then we've only been now really in the last half year of this sort of charm offensive by the United States with the lineup of not only um, diplomatic visits, but congressional leaders, of course, administration, cabinet officials. And this just carries that momentum. So I do, th- I am hopeful, and I do think President Biden, who has a long history of commitment to interdependence and also a good relationship with President Xi in the past, mm. um, I think this does reflect his kind of persona and his belief, and it seems to be directing the administration that way. Now, unfortunately, we're in an election year where there's going to be a lot mm. of further animosity and we don't know you know a year from now what the direction of a given administration might be not knowing who will be elected but at least i think we can have confidence through the early part of next year to have um, continued dialogue Mm -hmm. and you know i think this was some important elements coming out Uh, a savvy i think statement from president xi on curbing the precursor chemicals that are manufactured in china that are then you know, refabricated into um, the product of fentanyl, Mm. uh, you know, at least playing to the kind of American political concerns. And I don't think that's going to persuade those in in certain segments of the political spectrum. But I do think this was probably as good as we could expect with um, Ambassador Burns' statement was very positive. And he's been, you know, really leading the way on you know, just, I think, more positive rhetoric toward China, because we hear so much hostile rhetoric in the United States. Mm. Now, uh, how do you, uh, yet on Wednesday, perhaps the world was watching regarding, you know, the summit between the top leaders of U.S. and China. Uh, now, Professor Guthrie, how do you see the statements coming out of the summit? I mean, both sides have hailed the conversation as constructive and frank. Yeah, I mean, to me, they, it seemed very constructive. I mean, the fact that they're going to start uh, military conversations again is a big leap forward. Um, and I think it's an important one. I think it's important that we see ourselves as partners in economic development, but also diplomatic partners in which there is a clear partnership in terms of how to think and how to develop around these issues. I, one of the questions that I got for from a number of, of people that leading up to the summit was the question of, is it going to be the case that President Biden is going to promise all kinds of things, the four no's and one no intention, and then go back mm-hmm. on them? Um, I think he was pretty, the, 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 everything that I read about what the conversation was and, and how it came out to, yes, we are going to be talking about military issues. Yes, we are going to be talking about uh, AI. Um, and and we believe in the one China policy. And so I thought it was it was deftly handled and it seemed like it was a constructive conversation. Mm. Now, James, uh, how do you see that? Well, I, I agree with, with that. I think, again, the that I referenced the the agreement on fentanyl is probably mm. not 
terribly important in in the big picture, but I think symbolically it just showed that China right. was uh, listening to what America's mm. current concerns in the year 2023 are. Uh, the reaffirmation of the One China policy is important because mm. the U.S. has drifted pretty far from from the you know affirmation of that in its it, well, at least Congress has with a lot of the recent laws passed. Um, and I do think I agree with Professor Guthrie, resuming military to military contact, and that kind of gives hope that maybe even the strategic economic dialogue of the past could be an endpoint um, with these you know, discussions. And all the things you know, mentioned with the CHIPS Act and, and de-risking still has all sorts of you know, concerns, I think. Mm. But um, yeah, I think very positive. And, and I think even though the word frank was used, which often means there was some disagreement, I don't really think that was the case, unlike, you know, mm. the, a couple of years ago. Right. So, yeah, very, very positive, I think. And also, I think for President Xi, um, you know, reaffirming and, and directing China's foreign policy to a more engaging position. Mm. And I think that's a pretty dramatic uh, change that shows a coming together of both sides mm. toward toward, you know, the vision of non-zero-sum games, win-win solutions, mm. um, and, and a lot of the statement that President Xi made. Right. Now, uh, let's see uh, the some of the uh, specific areas of uh, cooperation uh, as agreed by both leaders. Uh, these include government talks on artificial intelligence and also a working group on counter-narcotics uh, cooperation. Now, uh, Professor Guthrie, how do you think these will benefit both countries? Well, I mean, so I guess there's there's high-level benefits and then there's sort of the policy-based benefits. So right. the high-level benefit is to me, and again, this is, I think, more important in China than it is in the United States, but the, the sense that there is partnership, you know, partnership in China and Chinese is such a big word right now um, that that China is being treated as an equal partner and is engaging in conversations around important things ranging from drug production and fentanyl to AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I personally think that this is a very good thing because, you know, I thought the CHIPS Act was very damaging in the sense that it said like, okay, well, we'll have you make our are goods that can be exported from China to the United States that are all light industry goods, but we are not going to be participating in conversations with you over the important developments around things like AI. Mm. And I just think that's bad. Like, I think it looks bad for the way that the United States is treating China. And so I think re-entering into these conversations and treating China as an equal partner at the table, Mm. uh, which it should be. I mean, Mm. there's a, a lot of amazing high-tech development and a lot of very highly trained scientists and and economic actors who who should be in those conversations. And so I think that aspect of it is very important for the development and then continuing to to think about how these develop economically, um, both in the the narcotic space, but also in the AI space, I think is, is important for both countries to be on the same page about how are we moving forward with these important issues. Mm. Uh, what about James? Well, I'm, you know, just in the big picture, you know, as has been mentioned, I mean, there's, there are real strategic tensions between the two countries. And of course, mm. Taiwan is always going to be part of that. And, and then there's issues of sort of ideas of shared governance and, and values that are going to be contentious. 
And the glue has been the economic relationship. And APEC was, you know, the beginning of, of the Clinton, well, the Bush administration, Clinton administration, the first Bush, you know, recognizing free trade and interdependence were fundamental to the U.S.-China relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's been the, the glue. And I think everything Professor Guthrie said in the details of the supply chain and the essential nature of keeping um, an open dialogue in the, in the danger of the CHIPS Act and then, you know, here you have an AI working group, but if the U.S. is going to undercut semiconductors and chips and, and prevent those from being exported, you know, what's what's in it for China? Mm. And, you know, maybe if China demonstrates, as Ambassador Burns already said, some impact on the fentanyl, which, again, is a small issue. But then does the U.S. sort of give space to pull back on some of these national security sort of protocols that are inhibiting trade? Because without the trade you know, everything could easily collapse. And as President Xi said, China's not interested in a hot war or a cold war. Mm. Um, But, you know, those are still looming dangers if this isn't managed well. Right. APEC is a big concept. It was, you know, first brought out by the late Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke in 1989. And APEC includes, you know, some of the world's biggest economies, uh, well, and also, as people say, you know, middle powers, for example, Australia, and also the largest economy in ASEAN, Indonesia. So a lot of people, a lot of leaders come to the meeting, you know, uh, with the anticipation, you know, to see how U.S. and China will manage their you know, differences. Um, so how do you think uh, this meeting between President uh, Xi Jinping and President Biden uh, between China and the United States, the world's uh, two top two economies, will influence the upcoming meetings at APEC, especially, you know, when all these leaders will come together uh, and make their own cases later? Professor Guthrie. Well, uh, here again, and forgive me if I'm repeating things that, that Professor Ray and I have already said, but mm-hmm. I, I think that this is a really important symbolic step forward, not just for APEC, but also for U.S.-China relations in mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it is really putting a centerpiece of the economies and economic development as kind of a core issue that, I mean, that's why APEC was formed. And, you know, in 1989, when 12 countries came together, it was, you know, sort of like, okay, we should be talking about these countries that touch the Pacific. But but now it's been elevated beyond just ministers and secretaries of education showing up. Now the two presidents of the two largest economies and the two largest trading partners in the world are showing up and having a summit. My guess is that if, if next year um, they mm-hmm. don't show up, it's going to lead to a lot of questions as to why. And so my guess is that this is this is something that elevates APEC. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I certainly think it's, you know, I mean, for those of us like Professor Ray and I who study China, we've mm-hmm. been watching APEC for years. But like this is the first time I've, I remember that the world is talking about it mm-hmm. nonstop for a week. Right. And so it's important. And so my guess is that this is going to elevate APEC and elevate the ways in which we think about APEC, not just being as about economics, but about geopolitics as well. Mm. Now, uh, James, what about you? Well, I think that's absolutely correct. And we just know in the U.S.-China relationship, when there's not face-to-face meetings, Mm. uh, the relationship suffers. And of course, COVID made that impossible briefly. And then President Xi wasn't really traveling. So I I think at the very beginning, Professor Guthrie highlighted just the fact that Professor Xi did come all the way here to San Francisco and then has been feted, I think, quite well um, by the U.S. And so 
Um, that does, I think, give a lot of hope that the subsequent meetings might move into a little bit more detail, whether it's climate change or resuming further dialogues or, uh, you know, just having uh, deepening expansion on some of these agreements on technology, AI. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think very positive. And APEC does serve that role in an informal way where the direct bilateral summit sometimes creates a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. This doesn't have the pressure to have some grand, you know, statement between the two countries, but brings, you know, multiple leaders. It's APEC is such an important forum. Thank you both for joining me for a discussion on this very important topic. That's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. Again, I want to thank our guests, James Ray, Professor, Department of Government, California State University, Professor Doug Guthrie, Director of China Initiatives at Thunderbird School of Global Management. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.